Thanks for tuning in to Next Level Church Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at nextlevelchurch.net. Well, I don't know about you, but I could use some, some good news. I feel like bad news is everywhere, and this is somewhat intentional. There's been a lot of research about why there is so much bad news around us and why the bad news is so consuming. And according to psychologist Logan Jones, he says that unfortunately, a lot of the news we consume today isn't so much reporting as it is a way of keeping people addicted to the news cycle. The news and media, especially on social media and articles, they know that the only way they can make a profit is if we are addicted to what they, what they are, are telling us. And the only way that we can get addicted, they know the best way to get us addicted is by constantly sharing bad news because bad news sells. And so in my life, I, I've started to look at things and say there is two different things going on in the world. There is my real life and, and the real concerns that people have. And then there's the online world. And if you pay close attention, you will find that the online world gets outraged about things that the people in your real life aren't really outraged about. Like, like for example, you remember back in, in 2015 when uh, there was outrage about the red Starbucks cups? I don't know if you remember this or not. But uh, I paid attention to it because um, they, what was reported is that Christians were outraged at the red Starbucks cups. And uh, in fact, the articles that I read said that Christians were, were going to boycott and to, to write off and say they were never going to go to Starbucks again. Now, no one in my real life cared about the red Starbucks cups. But online, it was like this major like outrage. People were really incredibly upset. Did you know where that whole reporting, that whole idea about the Starbucks red cups, you know where it came from? It came from one person. One person posted on their social media channel. His name is Joshua Ferristein, and he said, do you realize that Starbucks wanted to take Christ and Christmas off their brand new cups? In fact, do you know that Starbucks isn't allowed to say Merry Christmas to their customers? His post was shared more than 201,000 times, and it was liked by 1.8 million people. The problem is what he said was not the truth at all. In fact, um, if you do just a little bit of research, you will find that he spun his version of the truth. He wrote something literally to get people wound up, to get people excited. Um, I don't know if you remember the, the red Starbucks cups, but let's just look at the red Starbucks cups. If you look at the evolution of the red Starbucks cups, starting in 2009 all the way through 2015, where the outrage happened... One thing you will notice is that uh, they're all red, and they also, none of the cups have Merry Christmas on them. What he was reporting was that Starbucks took a cup with Merry Christmas on it and yanked it off because they are anti-Christmas. But the red cups never had Christmas on them, ever. And in fact, if you visit a Starbucks, you will see that they have the word Christmas around their store, like the Christmas blend coffee, and they sell things that have Christmas on it. And so the question is, is why would someone report something like this? Like, I don't know this guy from Adam. I don't know if he intentionally was trying to deceive people. I don't know if he just had a misperception. But why in the world would someone report something if it wasn't really newsworthy, if it wasn't really based on truth? Well, Logan Jones, a psychologist, he says, because sensational headlines get more attention, media outlets often end up focusing on disaster reporting and rarely any positive news. 
So this is something that we need to be careful of. What you need to know is that the news and the media and the articles that you read, what they want to do is get you addicted. And they will do anything they can to get you to click and to read and to spend time on it, even if it means that they're not telling the full truth. And so this is why when I look around, I'm like, there's just bad news everywhere. Like everywhere I look, there's bad news. In fact, um, when, back in October, when our team started planning this Christmas service, uh, we got together to plan like ideas and try to think about like what should be the theme of the Christmas service. And people threw out like the, you know, the typical Christmas themes like, uh, you know, gifts or, or presents or light. Those are all great Christmas themes. And maybe we can build a whole service around there. And I didn't have a piece about any of it. And so I went away and, and got alone by myself and said, God, I just need some direction. Like, I just feel like like people are hurting. I feel like uh, it's been a long like couple years where it just feels like we're never going to get out of this thing. And like, like I, I, just, I just need to know, like, I don't have the strength or the wisdom or the words to know what's going to really help people. So I need you to tell me, what do people need to hear? And I felt like God said, good news. Give them some good news. Because there's bad news everywhere and everyone is, is talking about the bad news. So this service, everything about it, is all about good news. In fact, when I went to the Christmas story, what was really cool is when I started reading it, I saw that the theme of the original Christmas story is good news. I want to show you this. Our theme verse, uh, we're going to read it together. At Next Level, we do something a little bit different if you're new to the church scene. One of the things we do is we want to honor the text because we believe that the text is God's actual word being spoken to us. And so we want to honor it. And the way that we do that is we stand to our feet. We read it nice and loud. So I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet and read with me Luke 2.10. Now, Luke 2.10, that is the reference. You'll see two dots between the 2 and the 10. We like to have a little bit of fun. It's okay to have fun in church. And the way that we do that is we pump our fists at those dots and we just say, Dot, dot. And I want to invite you, if you're not a Scrooge, to do the dot, dot with us. If you are a Scrooge, we still love you anyway, but you will be judged. (laughs) Just kidding. Read with me nice and loud. It says, but the angels said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Luke 2, dot, dot, 10. Now that we've read the text, let's go to God in prayer. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? And I want to give you a moment just to talk to God. I don't know what your spiritual life is like. I don't know if you're new to the church scene, if you've been in church your whole life. I don't know if you're skeptical of God or if you have a lot of faith in him. But I want to give you a moment just to talk to God. And specifically, if you don't know what to say, I want to invite you to say a very simple prayer. And that prayer is, God, would you speak to my heart? And would you give me the courage to do whatever you tell me to do? Would you spend a few moments just praying, talking to God quietly? And God, that is our prayer, that you would speak to our hearts. Thank you that you're not a distant God who doesn't care about us, but that you are very present in our lives, and you do care. And so we ask that you would speak to our hearts in a personal way today. And God, would you give us the courage to obey you even when we're afraid? God, I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Oh, Lord, you are my rock and my redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. You may have a seat. So we just read the official birth announcement of Jesus, and you saw in that announcement that it said good news. But in order to really understand why this announcement is good news, we need to understand some context going around this news. 
In fact, if you don't understand the context, you can hear everything that was said at Jesus' birth, and it won't mean anything to you. But when you understand the context and why it is such good news, it can open up and unlock your eyes. So here's what's going on. Um, it, this is the kickoff of what's called the New Testament. And the New Testament starts with the birth of Jesus. Now, if there's a New Testament, that means what? There's an Old Testament. So our Bible is comprised of two sections, Old Testament, New Testament. Now, the Old Testament is really important because in the Old Testament, it's where we learn that the first humans, Adam and Eve, they disobeyed God. They rejected God. They wanted to do their own thing. And because of that, every single human being that is born is born with what the scriptures call a sin nature. Now, this is something that you don't have to be spiritual to understand or to see. You just have to have kids because we've never taught our kids how to disobey. Like none of us, none of us have had a family meeting that was like, you know what, Junior, you're just too good. Would you please start disobeying? Like none of us had to sit down and teach our kids how to be selfish. In fact, when you were, when you were first teaching your kids how to talk, you probably tried to get the, your kids to say certain words like, Mama, dad, dad, and you were trying to get them to say that. But sometime around the age of two, your kids started saying a word that you did not know where they learned it from. Mine. And they would grab something from someone else and hold it closely. And you would say, no, 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 we got to share. No, mine. You didn't have to teach your kid that. Did you know as human beings, we never took a class on how to lie, but yet we all know how to lie? Why? It's because all of us have what scripture would define and would declare as a sin nature. Now, the Old Testament, they gave an answer for that. Because we're all sinful, because we've all fallen short of God's standards, we need something to sacrifice itself for our sins, to cover over our sins. And so the temporary fix that the Old Testament put on forgiveness of sins was a sacrificial system that involved lambs, it involved animals and sheep. And so they would sacrifice an animal for their sins so that the animal sacrifice would cover over their, wrong, their wrongdoings. But God knew that this was just a temporary fix. This wasn't a, a forever thing. And so in the Old Testament, he starts to drop little seeds, little prophecies, little words that says, hey, one day a Messiah is going to come. And it's going to be a game changer. The Messiah is going to change everything. He's going to change this whole sacrificial system. And you won't have to kill little animals anymore. Like you won't have to go through any of that. Like, gee, like when this Messiah comes, it literally is going to change time. It's going to change. It's going to change everything. So then the Old Testament ends, and this is where some more drama picks up. Because if you're just flipping through your Bible and you read the end of the Old Testament, it just goes immediately to the New Testament. And you're like, oh wow, one thing ended and the next thing started. But did you know that there are 400 years of silence between the Old Testament and the New Testament? We call it the 400 years of silence because there's no record of God doing anything. So if in your life you feel like, hey, how come God doesn't do miracles like he did back in the in the Bible, well, there's 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament where there are no recorded amazing miracles. You go in the Old Testament and you see all these amazing miracles of, of water being parted and walking on dry land and little shepherd boy taking out a giant and you see all these amazing miracles. But then all of a sudden, 400 years, 400 years of silence. Then all of a sudden, things start to happen. And they're little rumblings. It's not a big announcement. It's nothing like huge. It is one angel appearing to a virgin named Mary. And the angel appears to Mary and says that you are going to give birth to a son. And she says, that's impossible. I'm a virgin. And he's like, no, it's very possible. It's happening. And she says, okay, I believe. And Mary then becomes 
pregnant with the son, with the Messiah, with the future salvation person who is going to die for our sins. But there's some drama around this because Mary wasn't married. She was engaged to a guy by the name of Joseph. And in their culture, if you were to get pregnant outside of wedlock, it was a lot of scandal. It was a lot of, of, of shame. And so uh, I, can just, I can just imagine, the scriptures don't give us a lot of details about the drama, but I can just imagine some of the drama that went along when Mary comes home and tells her fiancé that she is pregnant and the baby is God's. Maybe, maybe it looks something like this. Check this out. Here you are, baby. Fresh baked pie, just for you. Where did you get this? I baked it from scratch. We don't have an oven. God helped me. <sighs> Joseph, please. You see how that sounds, Mary? So Joseph has every plan to call off this engagement. He's going to end things. But he falls asleep at night, and an angel appears to him and says, Hey, Joseph, don't call things off. Mary's telling the truth. She really is pregnant with, with, with God's child. And so Joseph decides to marry Mary. But then more drama happens because the government comes along and says that there is a, a census, that everyone needs to be counted. And in order to be counted, you need to go back to your hometown. And so Joseph goes with his very pregnant, now wife, back to a little town called Bethlehem. And he goes to participate and to be counted in this census. But because people were traveling all around and everyone had to go back to their hometown, when Joseph and Mary show up to the inn to sleep at the hotel, the innkeeper says, there's no room for you at the inn. And I, I can't promise it was like this, but it very well could have been like this image. Joseph says, don't be mad. I said I was sorry. I should have made reservations. Talk to me, Mary. Mary. Mary, Mary says, I'm fine. And that's how Silent Night began. <laughs> right? Just for a second, put yourself in their sandals. Like, think about it. This is real people. This is happening in, in real time. We, we, it's real lives that are being impacted about this. And there is so much drama going around it. So Mary and Joseph end up having no room in the inn. They end up having to go to essentially a barn, and they give birth to the Messiah, to the Savior of the world, in a barn. And from there, this is what the text says next. Look at Luke 2, 8 through 9. It says, and there were shepherds. The shepherds, those are my people. They incredibly good-looking, hard-working shepherds they were living out in the fields nearby keeping watch over their flocks at night an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified so this is a really big deal and if you don't know the context you miss why this is such a big deal this is coming this is how God breaks out of the 400 years of silence it is with this announcement because remember, no one else knows what Mary and Joseph is going through. The angel only appeared to them. That was a very like one-on-one -on -one type miracle, one-on-one -on -one thing. The rest of the people weren't celebrating. The way that God breaks his silence is to the shepherds in a field. And when the angel of the Lord appears, the shepherds are terrified. You would be too. 
If you, you may believe in God, but if you saw an angel, you'd be like, dang, I didn't really believe. Like, I thought I believed, but now I believe. And I'm scared. And the angels were scared to death. But the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. Now, this all happens incredibly close to the barn in which Mary and Joseph were hanging out. And we know that because the shepherds were near the, uh, Bethlehem. They were near the, the area where Mary gave birth to her son. This is incredibly important because we know that Bethlehem was the place for shepherds to raise spotless animals to be sacrificed for the sins of the people. So when the scripture says that the shepherds were nearby and they were in Bethlehem, we know that they were trained in the requirements for an animal that would be sacrificed. They were trained to look at a spotless animal, a perfect animal, and say, you are worthy to be sacrificed for the sins of the people. In fact, in their day and age, in order to cover the sins of everyone, they would have to sacrifice two spotless, perfect lambs a day. That's 730 lambs each year. And it was the shepherds in Bethlehem. It was their job not just to have any random sheep, but to raise and to find the perfect spotless lambs that could be sacrificed for the sins of the world. With that, let's look at what happens next in Luke 2, verse 10. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you. Then there's two words underlined. Would you just humor me and read those two words out loud? One, two, three. Good news that will cause great joy for all the people. So the angel says to them, don't be afraid. Why? Why shouldn't you be afraid? Because the angel brought some good news. I love what Pastor Tim Keller says about this. He says, the essence of other religions is advice. Christianity is essentially news. Other religions say, this is what you have to do in order to connect to God forever. This is how you have to live in order to earn your way to God. But the gospel says, this is what has been done in history. This is how Jesus lived and died and earned the way to God for you. Christianity is completely different. It's joyful news. What separates Christianity from every single other religion is it is not telling you this is what you have to do. It is telling you what God did for you. That on that very first Christmas, after years of silence and after years of promising that a Messiah would be born, God breaks his silence and Jesus is born. This isn't a tall tale. This isn't something that someone made up. This is history. This is what really happened. Look what the angels say next in Luke 2, verse 11. It says, Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. So this is incredibly important because the angels share a message directly from God's lips. They tell who Jesus is, that Jesus is a Savior. He's been born to you, and he is the Messiah, the Lord. The reason that that is incredibly important is because it's telling us who Jesus is. It doesn't matter who you want Jesus to be. It doesn't matter who you hope Jesus is. It doesn't matter if you believe in Jesus or you do not believe in him. He's not insecure about that. This is who Jesus is. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the one who came to die for our sins. He is the Savior of the world. And this is important because a lot of people had misperceptions about what the Messiah was going to be. 
in their day and age, there were a lot of people that thought when the Savior comes, he's going to be an earthly king that's going to rule and reign and kick Rome off the throne. And they're going to battle Rome and that they're going to become this powerhouse. And they thought when the Messiah came, he would be an earthly king. But Jesus wasn't an earthly king like that. There were other people who believed that when the Messiah came, he would heal everyone's problems and everyone's sicknesses. And even though Jesus healed some people, he showed us that he didn't make everything perfect. He didn't heal everything. Jesus is not who we want him to be. He's not who you may say he is or think he is. He's not what culture says. Jesus is who God says he is. And God says that he is the Savior. He is the Lord of all. The announcement of who Jesus actually is declares that he came to do something important. He came to deliver us from our sin. In order to really understand the good news of Christmas, you have to really be honest with yourself. And this is something that is really hard for a lot of us to do. It's hard to admit that we've got some sin inside of us. It's hard to admit that we have selfishness, that we don't like and don't want to to give our lives to God. But this is what the scripture says. The scripture is like holding up a mirror to your soul and it says, hey, listen, you're in good company because everyone you sit around, everyone you know, all of us have fallen short of God's standards. All of us have fallen. All of us have have sinned. And in order to really understand the good news, we've got to be honest with ourselves. We've got to wrestle with the fact that we cannot save ourselves. If we could, we would do it. If we could fix all of our problems, we would do it and they would be fixed. But we don't have the strength. We do not have the capacity to fix ourselves. All of us are in need of a savior. It's like what Pastor Tim Keller says. He says, the bad news is you're trying to save yourself and you can't. The good news is that Jesus can save you. You can be saved by Jesus and Jesus alone. I absolutely love uh, Christmas gifts. And in fact, um, every year at, at Christmas time, I struggle on Christmas Eve to, to fall asleep, and I wake up all throughout the night because I keep checking the clock, just is it time to get up? Can I get up and open some presents? And I'm 43 years old, and I'm still really excited about Christmas presents. As much as I love Christmas presents, it's amazing to me that I forget what I got the previous year. I love gifts, but if you said, hey, what was your favorite gift last year? I'd say, ah, I don't know, I need to go look at Instagram stories and, and, and do some review. I don't remember, I don't remember what, I, what I got. It's really hard for me to remember presents, but can I just tell you, I've never forgotten the gift that God gave us on that first Christmas. I've never forgotten. See, my sin won't let me forget about it. Because every time I lose my temper... And every time I do something selfish, and every time I choose my way over unity or joining forces with other people, and every time I fall to an addiction, and every time I lose my cool and temper, my sin is screaming out for the fact that I can't save myself, but Jesus can. And our sin is constantly reminding us, not that we're alone, but that we need a Savior, and that Savior is who Jesus is. Is The angel declared that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the Lord. That means that he is worthy of our praise and he is worthy of our attention. He is worthy of his own holiday. He is worthy of our focus. He is worthy of our time. He's worthy of splitting time in two. We have A.D. and B.C. because Jesus came and split time in two. He is worthy of all of our attention. Why? Because he's the Savior and we're not. That means that Jesus is Lord and he is the main character. 
there was this, this trend that went around TikTok earlier this year, and it was supposed to be a positive affirmation. It was supposed to be something that got you to believe in yourself. And I saw multiple people doing videos with this affirmation, and I want to show it to you, um, and just know, I think this is horrible, but check this out. You are the main character. I wake up every single morning, and I look in the mirror, and I repeat this mantra. It's good for the plot. It's good for the plot. This is your movie. And yes, there will be setbacks. But tomorrow is a new day. So make it a good one. Hey, things are not happening to you. They're happening for you. Which is why you are the main character. You're not the main character. And I'm not the main character. And can I tell you that so much of our problems is because we believe that we're the center of the universe. And so many of our issues, the reason that we struggle so much relationally is we constantly think, I'm the main character. My ways need to be met. It's all about me. Can I just tell you that that is your own souls crying out to the fact that you can't save yourself. You are dying because you refuse to admit that you're not the main character. It's not about you. And that's actually really good news. Because if it's all about you, then it's, it, it, it's up to you to fix yourself. And if it's all about you, it's up to you to save your own soul. But we just can't. But thankfully, Jesus can. Now, I want you to contrast that main character video with this next TikTok, which I like a whole lot better. Check this out. And whoever's listening, if this was a gift for you, I hope it was because it was for me. Imagine going into church for a different purpose, no longer just to receive, but to go, okay, God, if you're the main character, it's not me. I'm not the main character. If I'm the main character of my life, then I walk in, of course, and everyone exists to serve me, including the church. But if we can make God the main character, which we know that he is, but if we can make him the main character, then we can walk into church and ask a different question, not who sees me? How can I leave early? How can I slip out? How can I be comfortable? Me, 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 me. We can switch that to, okay, God, if you're the main character, okay. How would you use me as in your narrative? So who might you have me see? Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you that perspective switch from who sees me to who might you have me see, switching who the main character mm-hmm. is, what the point of church is, again, full circle with our conversation, it would switch and make every environment purposeful and you would suddenly become a gift to that environment, even if the way that he's planning to use you is through your weakness. That perspective changes everything. You're not the main character. I'm not the main character. Jesus is. He's the only one that can save our souls. And so he's the only one that is really deserving of his own holiday. He's the only one that is deserving of our time and our attention and our money and our focus because he came. He was born to save us. And because he was born to save us, that meant that he was born to die. I want to show you something interesting in the scriptures in Luke 2, 12. This is the way that this uh, story with the shepherds ends. It says, this will be a sign to you. The angel is speaking to the shepherds. He says, you will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a, there's a word underlined. Would you humor me and just say that word out loud? One, two, three. Manger. Now in Israel, mangers are made out of stone. It was an animal feeding trough. So this was uh, something the animals would eat out of, and it's not very comfortable for a baby. This is not like a comfy lounge chair or a crib. 
But the reason that Mary put the baby in the manger is because it was sturdy and it was safe. And other people did the exact same thing. You see, uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but um, back in the day when they were having to sacrifice all these sheep and the shepherds had to find the spotless lamb, when the shepherds, these very same shepherds that the angel appeared to, when they would find a spotless lamb that was worthy to be sacrificed, they would bring that spotless lamb to the priest and the priest would wrap the spotless lamb in swaddling clothes and lie the spotless lamb in the manger because the manger could protect the lamb from being hurt. So when the angel comes to the shepherds and gives this good news, did you know that in Luke 2, it is the only place in the whole Christmas story in all of Scripture where anyone mentions anything about the manger. And the reason that the angels mention something about the manger is because the shepherds would have known the only reason you're going to put a baby in a manger is because it is a spotless, perfect lamb who was born to die. And that's good news. Good news of great joy. That on that very first Christmas, Jesus was born to die. He didn't have to die. We didn't force him to die. He willingly came to earth to be the perfect sacrificial lamb, to be placed in a manger so that the world could know you don't have to try to save yourself, you don't have to try to fix your own problems. You don't have to pretend like you are the main character. You can change your life by simply focusing on Jesus. He is worthy of our praise. He is worthy of all of our adoration. He's worthy of our time because he is a savior who was born to die. He was the Messiah and he would die for the sins of the world. But the amazing thing is, is he didn't stay dead. Three days later, he rose again. And that, my friends, is good news of great joy. Will you pray with me? God, we come before you and we just thank you for the gift of Christmas. And what an amazing reminder it is that that very first Christmas, you broke the silence. You broke 400 years of silence and you spoke to the, to the shepherds and told them of the good news. And the good news is that Jesus came and that he lived, but he didn't just live, he lived to die. So God, I just ask that you would help us to stop trying to save ourselves and stop trying to fix our own problems and stop trying to focus on things that we cannot control and that we would put our hope and our trust in you because you are the main character. You are the Savior. You are the Lord. And we thank you for saving our souls. In Jesus' name. We hope you've enjoyed today's sermon. If you would like to hear more, please visit our website at nextlevelchurch.net. You can also follow us on social media at nextlevel757. Join us next time.